Welcome to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. We're your hosts, Mike Rapici and Barry Falk. Hey, Barry, good morning. How are you? Michael, I am doing fine this morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Also, hello and thank you to everybody watching us on YouTube. If uh, you're listening to the podcast and you want to actually see what we look like when we talk to each other. Oh my gosh. (laughs) For whatever reason that may be, uh, you can head over to the Critical Media Studies podcast channel on YouTube and you will see us in all our glory. Uh, So today, uh, Barry, we're talking about William Burroughs' 1975 essay, The Limits of Control. Last week, we talked about Deleuze's postscript on the limits of control. So in a way, it may seem like we're moving backwards, but you can listen to them in whatever order you'd like if that's a problem. Um, so anyways, the essay limits of control to my mind, uh, forces the obvious question, well, what is control and what are the limits of control? And, um, in thinking through this, basically I've broken this down into three questions, right? So one, um, what is, what, what does Burroughs mean by control? Right. And then a natural progression from that is, well, who's doing the controlling Mm -hmm. and then. The third rational question to follow up with is how's this being done? Okay, so uh, I don't feel that these are necessarily uh, easy answers or or quick answers or total answers. And Mm -hmm. I think it's also important to note that this was written in 1975. Mm -hmm. So we're we're going on close to 50 years at this point. Mm -hmm. And um, though Burroughs arguments, I think, hold to really to an astounding degree. I I think that the answers that we come up with might be different than some of the answers he was considering um, just because of the way things have evolved, but I'm not entirely sure that that's the case. So, so we'll see. Well, Um, can I, can I say something about that? Absolutely. Um, I I think our answers are going to be different um, in the sense that there's going to be a different, I think we're going to have a different account um, from our pre-discussion, I think this is definitely right. I think we, we ourselves have it, and our listeners and viewers probably have a different account of the players involved in the relation between the players involved in control. Right. That said, why we hesitate in saying, you know, we're going to disagree with Burroughs because it's so outdated. Why, why we hesitate at that moment? Why you pull back? Why I would pull back? is because, and this gets to maybe a tentative answer to your first question about what is control, um, and also to your other point about shareholders. What he does in 1975 that seems to be very present is that he puts, when he talks about control, he introduces these major players, media, technology, I guess, economy, I guess, economic concerns. By introducing and fusing, combining, by saying control is a matter of the interrelation of those three things, that's why we're still reading them 50 years later, right? Because the fact that he puts very explicitly kinds of media manipulation, that he talks about media as media, as a thing, in the way that Marshall McLuhan would, like there's a media, There's news organizations, there's a totalizing news organization or information society. Um, And then he talks about capitalism uh, and its relation to it or moneyed interest. 
that's why we think this is kind of uh, prescient. Is that right? What, what it, do you think? It's absolutely right. In fact, one of the things, and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but one yeah. of the things that I think is interesting and sort of points to um, maybe how this essay, how the interpretation of the essay would have evolved is he talks about economy. And I think that what we're going to do is the exact same thing, mm -hmm. just with a much finer lens, because economy now has, I think, more highly visible dominant mm. players than he would have, more accessible um, and visible players than he would have I, uh, envisioned. You know, that's interesting. Can, uh, just just to throw uh, develop that for a moment, because I think that's a very powerful point. And it is a significant difference between um, you know, our generation or our, our contemporary moment, our experience of the moment, our moment and his moment. Um, the economy, when you say it, I mean, the economy has stars. It has iconography. We have these visual media image. When I think of the economy, I think of multi-billionaires, et cetera. And I think of their media image. Where did I get these ideas? I got media. I got it from well, media. So, you know, yeah, it's that's a very different thing, right? That's the difference. I think that for and I don't want to spend too much time because we're going to come right back to this. Yeah. Uh, but I think that the difference is that when Burroughs wrote of economy, he was talking of sort of this massive conceptual thing, whereas uh, as things have developed for us, as you know, in, in as you called our current moment, um, we can point to specific specific players, I guess I would argue. Um, let's start out, though with his notion of control the control okay okay and so i think that it's it's helpful to really start with the, title, the limits of control all right so implicit in this title is the argument that there are limitations on uh what control can be and he makes a really interesting but for me somewhat problematic distinction Problematic is in incorrect or problematic is mysterious. Uh, problematic is in I'm not sure how it works now. And so I'm going to actually introduce this and then ask you to take a crack at your at your understanding sure. of it. Okay. So he says that there are limits of control, that mm -hmm. control can never be total. Um, and he says that so he says control is partial and not complete. The more completely hermetic and seemingly successful a control system is, I'm skipping down a little bit here, skipping down a little bit here, the more vulnerable it becomes. Um, he argues that total control is no longer control. It changes the relationship between the body controlling and the controlled into a use scenario. So uh, he he basically argues that total control would be dehumanizing um, and, and potentially fatal to those being controlled. And I'm curious as to how you understand it. I think this is a very fascinating insight. Um, does it hold though? Is, is well, let's is total is, is total control really impossible? I struggle with this passage too, and this might be where the whole effing video uh, podcast derails because I, I think I'm a little bit murky on this whole 
let me try and restate it just in order to understand it to myself. And I hope I shed some light, but mm-hmm. I worry. Anyway, I'm, I'm concerned about the passage too. I feel I don't quite grasp it. Let me return though to one of the passages you alluded to, the, the, the distinction he makes between controls and his beloved tape recording equipment. Right, as we know, right, right, right. Just to remind uh, listeners and auditors, um, Burroughs was a writer who was very concerned about sound technologies and tried to imagine new uses for sound technologies in the 60s. That became a major part of his project. And so he uses the tape recorders um, as an example here. He says, you use tape recorders, but you cannot control them. You don't control tape recorders. He says it the other way around. Um, you, yeah, I, I, I actually have the passage. I'll read yeah, it. but it's a passage. Yeah. He says, if I establish complete control somehow, as by implanting electrodes in the brain, right. then my subject is little more than a tape recorder, a camera, a robot. You don't right. control a tape recorder. You use, you use it. And then he says, uh, consider the distinction and the impasse implicit here. All control systems try to make control as tight as possible. But at the same time, if they succeed completely, there would be nothing left to control. And it's that last that last phrase that, that I find yes, troubling. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, because the I think the allure behind control is to maximize it. Right. Nobody says, I want partial control. We want total control. But is total control really a myth? I don't understand. That is one of it. Let me just interrupt to underscore that, because I think you that really is one of the big takeaways of the essay that you just said, that control in our minds exists as something to maximize. So the fact so there's a paradox in the title. Right. Because he's talking about the limits of control, but, you know, don't be fooled. His idea of control, and I think it's our idea of control, that control in terms in the realm of social governance is something, is a commodity or is a thing, is a process that we think of in a, in a capitalist way, that we think of it like, like the profit motive. You want more and more of it. You tend to maximize it. I, I didn't mean to interrupt your flow there, but that was a really crucial point. Maybe I'll, I'll turn it. Uh, I'm going to try to answer your question and I'll do it poorly about control and use and dehumanization. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. going back to the tape recorder. I, well, you, or, did, or did you want to say something? No, I, I you, you just I, I have it written down, so I'm not worried about it. you gave me an idea that I think may explain it. But I want you to finish the discussion about the tape recorder first. OK, well, I, I'll just work through it. I'm anxious to hear what uh, your your thoughts on this. I agree with you. This is a um, this passage seems to be a crux in the essay. At the same time, I feel a little bit murky. Um, going back to his metaphor of you don't control tape recorders or tape recording equipment. You don't control tools. You you use them. Why is that sticking in our craw? Why is it sticking in my craw? Why is that causing me problems? I think it causes me problems because he assumes he assumes that the relationship between you, the tape recorder, and the tape record and your tools, your tape recording equipment. And here I'm talking to the expert on this. So I'm, you know, this is your dissertation subject, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess what's troubling me about that analogy is that he is 
talking about the tape equipment as if it's pure objects. And it seems to be saying that he seems to be saying in the rest of the passage that control cannot be maximized because that would require the full objecthood, the full object nature of the thing you're controlling. Mm -hmm. And humans are not tools. Um, humans are not tools. And so therefore they can't be objects in this way. So the analogy shows us that control is not total. When you have total control over your tools, it's not control, it's use and utility. But one last thing. Um, and again, I'm talking to the expert on this, but isn't one of the reasons that we are interested in Burroughs is because in uh, when he talks about tape recording and he talks about technology and he talks about media, he doesn't talk about it in a subject object binary. And it seems like he's using a subject object binary in that formulation. And am I wrong? What do you no, think? I, I, I don't think you are. I think that what he's getting and he, at. We, and we know he knows better than that. Well, no, but I don't, I don't, or no. I, I think, well, I, th I think he's fine here. Actually. I, I think what he's talking about, is really the essence of what it is to be human. Human. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so for, as I'm reading Burroughs now, one of the core things in, uh, to, in, in, in our sort of composition as humans is going to be agency or, the, or, or right. some version of agency. And what happens right. is when you establish total control, mm -hmm you dominate to the point where you have removed agency, therefore rendering whatever it is that, or whatever or whomever you're controlling to what you call it, a pure object. And at that point, it becomes use. So what's happening here is that the resistance that you have is always going to be against another human's desire to act in their own interest in some capacity, which I think is an interesting transition to our second point here about the shareholders, right? If he talks about the limits of control, that control being um, always partial, right? I think it's important to remember that in any situation, there will always be multiple people vying for control, right? So if you look at this in terms of politics, uh, you've got opposing parties, right? If you look at this in terms of technology, right? Mm -hmm. You have opposing companies. If you look at this in terms of media, you have opposing uh, companies still, right? Um, platforms, whatever whatever media has has, has evolved right. into. Right. And I think this is one of the interesting distinctions. And maybe this distinction is part of the reason we're getting tripped up because for Burroughs, economy would have just been this thing we're actually looking at sort of the, the players within the economy, right? So you can see if you, if you take a look at what he calls economy and you break it out into what our interpretations of, you know, um, power-seeking shareholder, control-seeking shareholders are going to be, politics, media, technology. Um, I'm sure there's others that I'm missing, but in terms of, you know, drawing with a big fat marker, um, those that that'd be the the three that I would identify, and in each case, there's always a counterforce. Um, so, mm -hmm. on a micro level, we can say I have my desire to remain 
me, right? I don't want somebody telling me everything I can do. I will. This is similar to what we talked about last time with Foucault and the, the, the discipline. Um, I, I can be rehabilitated in certain areas. I, but, but you know, that's, 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 that's conforming to a sort of a, a social will, but the need to conform implies that I'm not fully conformed. And every time you move, there's a new learning process. There's always that element of humanity in there. Yeah. Um, I think that what we're looking at here is control is really the tension between whatever sort of opposing forces that we have. And that's it. why, that's why it can't be total. Does that work? One, what I, I think, I think you make two points that I am. And one of them, I think we need to return to, um, um, just let me, uh, for listeners, watchers, let me just uh, add a quick footnote to what you said, because I think it sort of clarifies your reference to Foucault. Um, I, think, I think this just sort of briefly expands on what you said. Foucault's uh, crucial to the workings of the disciplinary society that Foucault talks about is a notion of that basically the, the institutions of discipline, disciplinary society require norms in order to function. And norms work in exactly the way you were talking about, Michael. Um, we're always striving perpetually and the control is in a sense, it's a self-regulating mechanism. Once the norm is articulated or put out there or you know, continually articulated by institutions, then uh, once it's articulated, then it's up to us to always be constantly measuring ourselves and measuring our behavior uh, against the norm. And that's what we're always doing in a disciplinary society, according to Foucault. Just a brief elaboration of that in case our, our listeners are listening or watchers are, are, are viewing this episode uh, and they didn't hear last week. But I wanted to return, now getting back to Burroughs, I wanted to return to a term you used that I think is a brilliant addition to the conversation. You use, I'm gonna paraphrase and, and sort of compress what you were saying, what I think you're saying that Burroughs is saying, and see if you agree. You use the great term, very helpful term, counterforce. Mm -hmm. Is Burroughs saying, is what his takeaway here in this, in this naughty passage, uh, K-N-O-T-T-Y, is the takeaway that if you eliminate the counter force in a system of control, control cannot work. It requires an opposition in the sense of a counter force. And then I have an immediate follow-up question. Your answer is very important, Michael, because depending on what you say, I have a, I have a follow-up question. I'm, you know, you're not going to get out that easy. So first off, counterforce, you use the term. Mm -hmm. um, is he saying that control, this is one of the limits of control. You can't have complete control. Uh, you have to have, uh, there are always limits. And the, one of the limits is the counterforce. So mm -hmm. you require the opposition in order to have control. Control needs opposition. Right. Do we agree with that? I think I so. So okay. he says, I'm, he, he says successful control okay. means achieving a balance okay, and avoiding lucky. a showdown where all out force would be necessary. Okay. So, so that seems to be very explicitly saying so, that so you the need I, equilibrium. Yeah. The idea is obviously if you're pushing for control, you are seeking to move the goalposts, so to speak, in your favor. 
right? You're, you're seeking to, 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 to achieve leverage, yeah. if you will. And the problem is that if you push too hard, right, you're right. oppressed will revolt. Right. If, if, if uh, he uses the, the, he, he tells a story in here about, um, you know, eight people in a sailboat two have guns. They're making everybody mm-hmm. or a rowboat and everybody's doing mm-hmm. the rowing. If the people in the boat knew that they were going to be executed upon reaching <laughs> shore, they get to shore, I'm not going to row. I'm going to fight. Lovely story. Right? right. And so right. you have to, that, so two things come out of this that I think that we, one is that you have to be careful, right? about a balance. You can't lean in too heavily or you will incite revolt. But the other thing that's interesting that we'll get to uh, after your counter, after your follow-up question is the issue of concealment, uh, which I think is substantial. But what's what's the follow-up? Well, the, uh, the follow-up question, maybe we're, we're, you know, now you put it, that, that was a marvelous summary. I think I think we're getting somewhere in summarizing this passage. I mean, mm-hmm. I think I, that I, I like that a lot. Maybe my question isn't worth um, lingering on and, and we will just, because I'm fascinated by the next uh, issue you want to move on. But I was going to say, do we believe that? I was going to get off script a moment and just say, do we believe that control systems require opposition? Do we agree with that? Well, again, I think that the answer to that is predicated upon the logic behind the opposition, right? Mm -hmm. If I am a free thinking individual, whatever that means, Mm -hmm. then control is going to require overcoming that free thinking. Yeah. And so in that regard, Yes. And that, and if you stick to his logic where you say, if you were to overcome that, what you have now becomes a tool rather than um, a person, right? I mean, his examples are all uh, mechanistic. They're not human. So I think, yeah, it it sounded, you know, the first, the first time I went through it, I was like, okay, I got to come back to this. The second time I came through, I was like, okay, now I have a question about this. Um, But I think that when you, ground this in some concept of human nature um, and the desire to, I mean, I I guess maybe a bigger question, is it human to want to control? Because if it is, then it's a resounding yes across the board. Uh, If there's a version of humanity that is passive and seeks to be controlled, then that, then there's a problem. Yeah. Uh, You know what? I I think, Let's let's move on. I'll just say, but but I think what you just said allows me to wrap up this part of the discussion, which is I think your your comments throughout, but especially this last bit, you you convince me that at this point in his argument, Burroughs is kind of philosophically, he's making ontological arguments. Mm-hmm. He's dealing with questions of being. He, you know, like, here's what control is as a being. Here's what humans are as beings. So. You know, I think that that's where I am. I wasn't, I wasn't there this morning, you know, I, I, but I think in talking through it, my, my understanding of this is that that's where that argument. It's an ontological its argument. If yeah. we were reading Heidegger, we would say, oh, well, of course, mm-hmm. but in Burroughs, I'm not used to ontological arguments. Okay. <laughs> End of discussion thread. Please okay. continue. So we started with what we went to who now the question becomes how, right? How, what, what does control, like how, how does control work? And um, we, we flirted with this a little bit, but I think the interesting argument, there's two interesting arguments that he makes here. 
Um, one is that control takes time, right? You and, and and I think we've already teased at this a little bit by talking about you know if you lean too heavily into something, you incite revolt. So one is you know the time, but the other thing that I think is really interesting, and this probably brings us into a discussion of our current media moment, um, is the sort of subvert like the 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 hide, hiding your control. I had a more eloquent phrasing, but it just totally went out the window. Um, how we conceal the attempts. Concealment. I think that was the word you were using. Yeah. And right? I, I'm go you're, you're total Heideggerian. You outed yourself, my friend. Anyway, go ahead. I'm having I'm having that sort of uh, <laughs> the Cartesian split between body and mind. They're not they're not in sync right now. Go ahead. Um, I'm sorry. So so the the idea that control takes time. Um, I find this interesting. And I think coupled with this idea of concealment, it's really fascinating to me. And I, I, I come back to Deleuze and Foucault again, and the idea that these systems of control, right, whether it's a disciplinary society or control society, and I actually want to talk about those two briefly, um, we become habituated. And over time, we what just sort of accept control we barter you know one he so he talks about burroughs talks about um making concessions and maybe maybe you can talk about that for a second i think it's significant here i haven't quite figured out how so i'm going to throw you a hot take and say here do something uh with it but what do you think about his idea of concessions in terms of how we perceive efforts to control us. Well, I'm I'm going to I'm going to, okay. I think I'll I'll try and answer that question. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to cheat a little bit because I'm going to use Deleuze's response to partly answer this, but I think I'm answering in a Burroughsian way. So I it, I'm not totally off topic. But last week we talked about um, in our last episode. We talked about uh, Gilles Deleuze, Gilles Deleuze's um, Gilles uh, Deleuze's um, postscript on the societies of control, uh, which um, was partly inspired. It's a postscript to the particular essay by Burroughs that we're talking about now, written what twenty years earlier. Mm-hmm. So Burroughs talks about concessions. And the concessions in the 70s were, I think it's easier to talk about concessions. Here's my thesis statement, mini thesis statement. I think it was kind of easy to see what concessions meant at the time of Burroughs writing. I think it's much harder to answer your question about concessions, uh, concessions that are the concealment of power. I think it's much harder to say what that consists, what that means now. And to elucidate that, I'll, I'll use a lose. But let me go back to the 70s in the Burroughs moment when he's writing. I think what he's talking about in concessions, tell me if you agree. Um, what he's talking about, basically, he's imagining a kind of binary force. Mm-hmm. There's There are those on top. But, and let's use it in terms of media. Right. And let's mm-hmm. historicize it and let's just use media examples since media is one of the things that 
he mentions is a specific element of the instrument of the control society that he uh, of control of societies of control societies in his version of it. There's a kind of top-down media, a television at that particular point. We're just thinking about television. Uh, television had was an obviously a top-down force. You had corporate control of major broadcasting networks. You had regular light, you had shows that came on, you had broadcast networks that were dispersed across the nation and therefore across the globe uh, with global communications. Um, you could expect a certain program at each time this week. It's a very top-down, and because it's a very top-down thing, it's a very regulated thing, right? Now, Burroughs is also writing at a moment where there are media explosions on the underground, counterculture media explosions. So you have fledgling attempts to create, you know, um, community television on the cable TV. Remember, cable TV was a thing long before it became a kind of, you know, a standard uh, equipment in, in uh, middle-class households. But also there's at the time of his writing, and he's participating at the underground press that particularly identified itself and articulated its mission as being in strict opposition to Time, Life, Newsweek, the New York Times, the major newspaper, the London Times, whatever, major media. So concession in that case, uh, doesn't it just sort of mean not anti-censorship? Anytime that you have the distribution, anytime the powers that be allow underground communications to any kind of existence, that's a kind of concession. So is that what concession means? Is that a concession of power in that particular case? I think so. I think that this is another moment where the passage of time really does interesting things to how we interpret this essay. Okay, so <clears throat> he says at the start of section 11, concession is another blind. History so shows that once a government starts to make concessions, it is on a one-way street. Mm -hmm. They could, of course, take back or take all the concessions back, but that would expose them to the double jeopardy of revolution and the much greater danger of overt fascism, both highly dangerous to the present controllers. So to me, in as he's writing, he's talking about concessions as a means of maintaining control. maintaining control. Right, which is equilibrium, as we know. Right, right. right. But I think that what's interesting about the idea of a concession, right? He says, you can't take it back. So what you're doing, and I think part of the reason why he says um, it's, it's a blind and it's a one-way street, he, he's making the argument here that once you start making concessions, you are really jeopardizing your ability the to The project control. of control, absolutely. But I don't think that holds anymore. Okay. Because if we think about economy and who controls, who, who's able to exercise control, right? And we think about this in economic terms. One of the things that's very different now is time, speed. And he says, right, uh, power control takes time. But we are able to make concessions now because time moves so much more quickly. So the concessions we make, the, I think the rule in 2022 for making concessions in the name of maintaining power is simply that they be forward thinking, right? If you make concessions that allow certain things in terms of freedom of press, 
right? And he goes on to say the media has proven a very unreliable and even treacherous instrument of control because it can't. It can't. Be, yeah. But it can't exert it, unilateral control in that sense. Not in 1975. But now it can. Well, think about. So I'm going I'm to make a couple connections here. Okay. okay. My first. The, the, my, my, my first uh, sort of principle here, okay, is that concessions are no longer the super risky, dangerous one-way street that they used to be because the rules change. How often does any software company update its user agreements? How often do things change? How often do the applications for technologies shift, requiring a reconsideration of the way <clears throat> that they nice. can be used and monitored, right? Nice. That's one. Two, if we jump to Deleuze for a second, he talks about the disciplinary society, uh, a la Foucault, right, as being sort of institutional rehabilitation centers to maintain what is a socially ratified or agreed upon means of behavior, right? Mm -hmm. So we are going to maintain control according to the status quo, and each institution has its own rules for behavior. Deleuze goes forward and says, if you look at a control society, the rules shift radically, right? In a control society, it's all about data. It's all about go do what you want. We are going to control you right. via the breadcrumbs that you leave. The rules so have if, changed. Right. So if you changed. look at the concessions that we make, the ability for people to uh, be controlled while still being, you know, feeling as if they have control. Mm -hmm. What Burroughs is describing here in terms of concessions is a lot what Deleuze is talking about in terms of the control society, where we are actually managed and controlled via the freedoms that we are given. The difference is in Burroughs' time, and the reason he would argue, hey, this is a one-way street, is because we didn't shed data nearly the way that we do now. Yeah. So I think when you look at the massive data shedding that is then leveraged to manage and manipulate and control us. Uh, you can make concessions all day long, as long as you're forward thinking yeah. enough with those concessions to say, yeah, uh, you know, you can, you can, you can do this, you can do that. You can do these things because we can still track those things. Uh, and we're learning how to adapt to these things. We being the big, scary boogeyman, we um, are learning how to control, are learning how to monitor these things. So to me, um, I think this is where Burroughs' argument takes a really interesting change when you update it. So that's, I think that would be that's my great. response. That's, that's a great answer. Um, and just uh, let me, um, I, I think uh, that that's a wonderful point to end on. I think that brings together a lot of threads that we've been discussing. I'll just say something, uh, a, a brief addendum. Your answer, um, you know, basically you're referring to the digital age and mm -hmm. uh, the new nature of digital culture as uh, something that requires us to redefine concessions and redefine power relations in a way that Burroughs wouldn't have uh, known because it, at least at the time of this essay, he didn't experience yeah, uh, he, digital he culture. Could, right. He could use a tape recorder without leaving a trace. Yeah, without leaving a trace. I think uh, your point about shedding data is the... I think I think that's the culmination of the episode. That's our that's our moment. So I want to I want to stand. I would just say that um, 
you also are drawing attention to the new temporal dynamic of digital culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all, you were referring to Deleuze. And that strikes me as the major distinction and perhaps advantage that Deleuze has in his consideration of society's control. He's figured out the new nature of time mm-hmm. that Burroughs didn't, you know, didn't have the privilege to see or to anticipate or experience or however you would say it. Uh, what's interesting about this is that this new nature of time, um, it's, it's a completely different duration. It's incredibly rapid. And I think the rapidity of change, the rapid nature of the change, I loved your example of uh, software companies changing their agreements every time, right? Mm-hmm. That's a complex relation that we have internalized and we don't say, what the hell? They changed their agreement again? Right. No, we and never consider that. We just fucking sign on or sign off, right? And to, and I agree. To, and to Burroughs' point, that's taken time to adjust to, right? That's not right. an instant thing. We've been right. uh, sort of, uh, we, we, we've, we've been habituated to that. We, this is right. something we now know. This is what it is. We've accepted that. Right. Um, so I, I, you know, I just wanted to underscore one of the important things you said in that last contribution, uh, you're drawing attention to the change in duration, the change in the experience of time, which is something, you know, to Burroughs credit, he's very sensitive as we already discussed uh, to the relation between time and control, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he makes that an explicit, that's an explicit point of his argument, right? But what he couldn't have anticipated and what Deleuze has to uh, sort of account for in his con- description of societies of control is the new duration of control. Uh, man, that was great. That was a great well discussion. I feel much better about the limits of control now. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> All right. Well, Barry, I guess this is this is probably uh, where we wrap it up. And um so again, if you're listening, uh, thanks. Please rate, review the podcast. If you're watching it, like, subscribe. Uh, I think at this point, everybody has been habituated into the drill. You know how to do it. <laughs> do it uh, quickly. Do it quickly. That's what's important. Absolutely. So uh, Barry, thank you. I-, I look forward to the next one as always. And um, have a good day. Thank you. We'll talk soon, Michael. All right. Looking forward to it. Bye-bye. Bye.